You guys are really polite. <laughs> that was our creed moment. I mean, we had the creed video last week, which I thought was dated, but it was hilarious. But this is like from the 70s. What did they say? Garrett gave the worship arts team the freedom. Yes, yes. Uh, maybe the last time. All right. Guys, I want a real creed moment next week. I want something from this millennium or else, you know, of, 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 of high Christian value. Those are the two criteria I expect to see in our creed moment next week. And we got another service. We got to walk that dog again. So, um, well, I, yeah, let's stand together and let us affirm our, our common faith as we recite the Apostles' Creed. Now, if this is not something you believe, uh, um, certainly you don't have to recite this, but go ahead and stand with us and study these words. And as we go through, begin to be clear about where in this do you depart? Where in this are you unsure? What questions do you have? And then begin to do something to have those questions to uh, be addressed. So at least if you're going to doubt, you can doubt in a well-informed, in a well-thought-through, in a well-explored way. That's the best thing you can do in church. For all the rest of us, let us affirm these essentials of our faith. As we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to use this creed to explore our essential beliefs. And each week, we're also going to ask this question, why have a creed? Why have a moment in service where you would say something like that? What, what use is this to us? Uh, last week, we said this was a useful tool to pass on our faith to our children, to our friends, our neighbors, family, co-workers, all those folks that you're inviting to church with you and, and into the Christian life with you. This week, another reason for the creed is it unites us. It tells us in a, in a setting like this, which can be quite diverse, which beliefs are essential to us, which ones ought we stand for. And therefore, it also tells us what are some of the things we can afford to be less uptight about. The church, uh, by some estimates, the Christian church now has about 20,000 different denominations. So the church has been torn and split tens of thousands of ways over tens of thousands of issues. There's an old joke which exemplifies this, and this is an old joke, so I apologize if you've heard this before. But the joke goes like this. I once saw a guy on a bridge about to jump, and I said, don't do it. And he said, nobody loves me. And I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God, or are you an atheist? And he said, I believe in God. I said, me too. Are you a Christian, or are you some other religion? He said, I'm a Christian. I said, me too. Are you Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant? I said, me too. What denomination are you? He said, Baptist? I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist? I said, me too. 
Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1875 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> we have split over every conceivable issue. Baptism, how much and where did the water hit you? We'll split churches over that. Uh, creation or evolution, how long did it take to pull it off? We'll split churches over that. If you say anything about homosexuality now, it erupts into a media circus and churches are splitting over that. And yet Jesus, on the last night, he was with his disciples in the upper room. He prayed this prayer, which was recorded in John 17. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Okay, we're listening. I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, that they may be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. But 20,000 denominations later, this isn't how it is. We are not one in the church around the world. And the world does not believe that God sent Jesus and that we are sent by God because they don't see the love and unity. They see a lot of uh, infighting and splitting. I want to say, on the other hand, unity can be a problem. Sometimes unity can be an idol that you pursue at the, at the uh, expense of more important things. Martin Luther King Jr. was told by Christian pastors not to pursue civil rights because it would divide the church. Now, in my mind, that was throwing out an important part of the gospel in order to pursue unity. That was a, a bit too far. Some churches have stopped preaching the concept of sin because it makes people feel uncomfortable. I think that would be an example of sacrificing something from the essential beliefs for the sake of unity and taking it too far. The church I was in as a kid had a conference, and the keynote speaker at the end of the conference said, Christianity no longer needs the cross or blood dripping or weird stuff. I think sometimes you can have your mind so open that your brain falls out. So we find ourselves then bouncing between these two extremes. In one extreme, in the name of unity, let's ignore almost anything we might disagree on, including our essential beliefs, just so we can all get along. On the other extreme is a tight, conservative dogma that's so afraid of making a mistake that we'll fight and split over almost anything. What guides us between these two extremes? I'll suggest this morning that the creed is a great tool that can guide us between those two extremes. We said last week, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. These words can guide us. Today we pick up with the next line of the creed, a very grim line was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. At the time that the, this creed was put together, it was incredible 
to people that, that God or, or any being who had the nature of God could die. By very nature, God is immortal. So how could God die? In the face of that doubt, the creed is adamant and says it four different ways. Was crucified. And let us assure you, dead. So dead he was buried. And whatever happens beyond that, that also happened to Jesus. He descended to the dead. Jesus experienced the very worst conditions that humanity has to offer. He was convicted, though he was innocent. He was humiliated. He was tortured. All of his friends abandoned him. And then he died. And the creed goes to great pains in this line to assure us of that. And what that brings us is this. Whatever you're going through, the Lord Jesus is with you. And not in a mushy, sentimental way. He's with you as someone can only be with you who has been there too. When you are accused, though innocent. And when you are humiliated. And when you are tortured and abused. And when you face death. And when you lose that battle and you die. He is with you. No wonder his comfort has lasted so many centuries. And no wonder Jesus has surpassed every other human attempt to bring peace. His peace passes all understanding because whatever it is that's ending, disrupting your peace, he understands it and he has been there. And he is there with you. And for Friday afternoon and all of Saturday and Sunday morning, he was gone. And the next line of the creed says, On the third day he rose again. Let me read you from the Easter story, Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. They were perplexed about this. Suddenly, two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Now we come to the very center of the creed. And I'll say not just the center of the creed, but the center of the universe. The original state of humanity is restored at the resurrection. Everything we know of in the universe is born and, and then it dies, yet we always have this intuition that death is somehow really unfair. Something must live on. And at the resurrection, we learn we were right. It is a cheat. It is something to be conquered. Death is an enemy. And it's something Jesus overcomes and we were meant to last. We learn not only us, but all of creation. Scripture says all of creation cries out for the resurrection. And we've seen built in to just the way the earth is made, that it constantly tries to bounce back and survive and adjust. And we learn that it also yearns to be eternal as it was created to be. And at the resurrection, that hope is restored. All hope is restored at the resurrection. All power and hope is centered in the resurrection. We support um, persecuted churches in China. 
And one of the pastors from China came and told us this story. Uh, in a small congregation he was in, they had someone from uh, the secret police infiltrate the congregation and was there among them. And one day they were preaching from the book of Acts. Peter heals the blind man. This police officer uh, chooses this moment to reveal himself. He stands up. He says, what is wrong with you people? That you would believe that your God could restore sight to a blind person. He says, I have the authority to have your hands cut off for teaching this sort of stuff. Will your God give you new hands? Or better yet, if I cut off your head, will your God give you a new head? Answer me. And the, the pastor said, I don't know if you cut off my hands, if God would give me new hands. But I know if you cut off my head. At the return of Christ, he will raise me, not just with a new head, but a whole new eternal body. And I will reign with him. And the police officer said, well, now I understand why you Christians are so stubborn. Because you think that there's nothing that can stop you. Even if we kill you, you believe you'll be raised again and win in the end. No wonder you're so persistent. And after another year there, that police officer was baptized and became part of the congregation. Resurrection is a resonating theme in humanity. Sometimes it seems to people who aren't Christian uh, almost rude that Christians are so exclusionary that they will only worship Jesus and they won't pay a lot of attention and certainly will pay no worship to any other gods. But it's not out of rudeness. It's just no, no one else offers us this. No one else came to be among us as us. No other God did that. No, no one else offers the resurrection. No one else raised from the tomb. This promise doesn't come from anywhere else. Now, I don't believe we ought to war with other religions and we ought to be hateful to anyone, but we do have good news to share. We just don't share the same hope as anyone else does. By faith, we believe that our hope is, is the truest hope. So when I proclaim He is risen, He has saved me, and I believe He can save you, I'm not thinking, well, and I'm better than you because you're a Jew. And I'm not thinking, I'm more enlightened than you because you're a Muslim. And I'm not thinking, I'm more part of the in crowd and you're more part of the out crowd because you're a Buddhist. But this is where my hope is. And I do believe it has the power to save everyone. And so I share it because when I have any good news, I share that with anyone that I care about. And I think this is the best news in all the universe. I might be delusional about that, but it doesn't come from being mean-spirited. I might just be wrong, but I'm not trying to be mean. And now it's our job to learn to share that good news with gentleness and respect, as it says in 1 Peter. The creed goes on to say, He ascended into heaven. In Luke 24, while he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And the next line of the creed says, He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Colossians 3, So you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now this is God's ultimate vindication of Jesus. Jesus is taken into that place where God is and placed at His right hand, which in all cultures is the seat of honor. 
even in the future, Will Riker sits to the right hand of Jean-Luc Picard. Number one, at the right hand, we understand what it means to sit at the right hand. Jesus was so right about everything he said and did that it, God made him ruler of the universe. So when you hear people say, I follow Jesus, or I am a Christian, or I am a Christ follower, this is what it means. I believe Jesus sits at the right hand of God. And so what he said about sex, that's what I do. What he said about money, that's what I do. What he said about forgiving others, that's what I do. What he said about caring for the poor and forgotten, that's what I do. What he said about keeping my promises that I make to friends, family, or even a business associate, that's what I do. The Bible isn't always the easiest book in the world to understand. But once we feel like we've come to enough of an understanding of what it is Jesus wants us to do, then that's what we strive to do. And ultimately, it is because we believe the next line of the creed. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Second Timothy, Paul gives a list of things they ought to do as Christians. Um, but he prefaces it by saying, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, and then off spins this list we may study someday. But it's all prefaced on that Jesus is judge and his kingdom is coming, and that's why you should do these things. And here at Lakeland and all Christian churches around the world, we do believe this. There will be a final reckoning. And it will be Jesus who conducts that reckoning. Because of his faithfulness to God, Jesus earned the place of judge over all humanity. Now, if you want to split a church and be really divisive, talk about the end times and you'll get into hot water really fast. But that's what we came for, so we're going to do it. Um, I just want to say there are a lot of mysteries about how that final reckoning will unfold. Anytime the Bible starts talking about this, it jumps into language of, of symbol, and it jumps into kind of mysterious, poetic-sounding words, and that has not made it easy for us to figure out. So one of the first questions everyone wants to know is, what will happen to people who never heard the good news of Jesus, either because of geography or time period they lived in, they never heard the good news of Jesus. What happens to them in this judgment? And my question these days is, what happens to people who heard the good news of Jesus, but they only heard it from ministers, priests, and pastors who were abusing them at the same time, or swindling the congregation out of money, or lying, or something like that? That was their messenger of the good news. That's who they heard it from, and they rejected it. What happens to somebody who heard the good news under that circumstances, or never heard it at all? And the shortest answer I can give to you is, I don't know. I don't know what precisely happens to people who never heard it at all or heard it under horrible circumstances. But I do know from Scripture and I know from this creed that Jesus is the judge of that situation. And he decides. And if it is possible, and I say if because I don't know, but if it is possible for, for people to be saved who don't call themselves Christian, that also will be because of Jesus and what he did. If, he, if, if that is possible, it will be because he extended his work to them. And that I do have faith. 
Another question often asked is, will Jesus' coming be at a time of terror and chaos and war and things going on in Israel and, and, and will people disappear suddenly and airplanes be empty and will have the rest of people who are left behind will have seven years to turn or burn? And the shortest answer I can give you as pastor on that question is that I don't think so. I don't believe uh, that narrative describes how it will go. I believe the time of tribulation is not up ahead, but actually upon us and has been upon us since Jesus ascended into heaven. This is the time of trial. This is the time of testing. You are living it every day. This is the time to make your allegiance to God clear. Will everyone vanish? I don't think so. I believe that Christ will return and reign on earth, as the scripture says. And those who have died will be raised, not as ghosts, but in new and immortal bodies. And uh, now that is probably very different than what some of you believe, and in some cases what you uh, were taught in church your entire life. So now you have a question. I'm now sitting in a church where at least one of the pastors has said that he doesn't believe in the rapture. So, should I leave this church? Can I stay in a church that has a different view of the end times than I do? I can't tell you what to do, but if I was in your place, I would stay. I would never leave over an issue like that. And here's why. If you and I both believe that he will come again to judge the living and the dead, in the minds of the whole rest of the world, you and I are both crackpots. So why are we now going to argue amongst ourselves about the fine points of our crackpotness? <laughs> we already believe in the, essentially Jesus will come again and judge the living of the de- and the dead. Now we have some disagreements about the timing and the nuances and how these events will unfold. But why should we separate and have yet another church split when we already believe the strangest thing in the world? Okay, I, I would rather handle our end time disagreement this way. The Bible talks about uh, the wedding feast of the Lamb, a a huge feast to celebrate the coming of Christ and all the Christians of the world are at the table with Jesus. I will bet you my dessert at wedding feast of the Lamb that there's not going to be a rapture and disappearance and plane crashes and wars in Israel. But if I'm wrong, then you get an extra piece of pie at the wedding feast of the Lamb. And if I'm right, then you're just out a piece of pie just on the first day. I'm being, (laughs) what I'm trying to say is, why not let us minister together and share the good news together? How these events are going to unfold are going to unfold whether you and I think that's how it is or not, and we'll find out together. And I do believe we'll find out together because he will come to judge the living and the dead, and not based on whether you correctly predicted the sequence of events leading up to that. So I think we can stay together, but I'm going to hold you to the pie deal. All right. Here's another thing I believe in with all my heart about the return of Jesus. God is just. And he will get all of these judgments of all of these situations right. And God is merciful. And God is forgiving. And God is never as uptight and harsh as overexcited preachers like me sometimes make him out to be. That's the last line of the creed we have time for today. We'll continue next week.
but I want to say these words that we're putting up are a foundation. And these are all the words in the creed about Jesus. It's around Jesus that we find our unity. So what should you be doing with these words? If you've been here the last couple of weeks and you're hearing this stuff, you think, I, I'm down with all of that. I, I, I agree with that as the essentials of faith. You should consider being a full participant here at Lakeland Community Church. That's kind of what we, uh, how we handle membership, being a full participant, participate fully in the life of the church. And at the round kiosk as you leave today, say, I'd like one of those full participant things. And they give you this little document, and you can see things about what it means to be a member in this church and, and part of, of participating in this community. And you can decide, and if you're ready, you can sign that and turn that back in. When we have the Lord's table, when we have communion, if you're down with these things, you should come forward and receive it. We don't have a, a thing where you have to be a member of this congregation to receive community, we, uh, communion. We just ask that you be able to stand on these essentials. You could become a leader in ministry here. The kingdom of God needs every hand on deck. No seat warmers, there's no bench on Jesus' team. When we have staff positions open, if you feel called to ministry, turn in a resume. Why not? Now, what do you do if you don't believe in all these essentials? You find some of this highly strange, highly suspect. Should you leave the church because you don't meet the minimum standards for the essential beliefs? I would not. And I do not want you to. I would say hold off on signing the full participant card because you don't yet believe all the same things. And I would hold back from the communion and the baptism and, and those types of things. But when those sacraments happen in church, use that as an opportunity for you to pray. Lord, if you are real, why is it so hard for me to believe these things? You can be part of ministry in the church, even if you don't believe all the essential beliefs. You can greet people at the door. Why not? You're as friendly as the next person, probably friendlier. You can play an instrument. You're as talented as the next person, probably, probably more so. You can serve the poor. Why not? In fact, if you're exploring God, that's why you've come, to explore faith. You need to be as close to where God is at work as you can be. And serving in ministry, you'll see some of these miracles everyone's always talking about. And you'll see God at work. And you'll see what really goes on in the dark underbelly of the church. And you can decide if it's authentic or not from right up close. If you're going to explore something, go right in among it. So, and we ask you to do that. You're probably not going to get to sing the worship songs because you don't really believe those words. Or teach the kids' Bible lesson, because maybe you don't believe the Bible. You're certainly not going to get to preach a sermon. But there are hundreds of ways that you can serve in a church while you explore the essential beliefs. And we invite you to do that, guys. Everyone's spiritual journey is so different. And there is room for your journey among us here in this congregation. So let us close as we began standing together and affirming our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. 
He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated, and if the servers want to come forward, we're going to share in communion in the Lord's table. Now, I mentioned the wedding feast of the Lamb earlier, that, that symbol from Scripture of of all the church celebrating and Christ raising the cup to inaugurate his kingdom. Communion is kind of a practice for that meal. It's kind of a dry run. It's a reminder that that's really what we're waiting for is the return of Christ and his celebration. And so we come forward to the table. It's like a little table before the big table. So all of you who are looking forward to the return of Christ, in his kingdom. Come forward and tear off a piece of bread which represents his body. And you dip it in the cup which represents his blood. And through these things, he brought us this forgiveness that lets us sit down at this table for all eternity. And you take it into yourself and you receive his forgiveness and you receive his kingdom. So let us pray and you can come forward when you're ready. Amen. And thank you for sharing that. Jane, are we ever bring that ocean picture back, Mark? The, the Hebrews were afraid of this. They didn't have a single inch of their land that bordered that, and, and they were horrified of that. So you read the Psalms, you read the creation story, the waters are always chaos and mystery and horror, and they're sea monsters. They're, they're really scared of this stuff, scared of the water. And, and this song said, when oceans rise, you know, we cling to Christ. And I, I, the book of Revelation says that the foot of Jesus' throne at the foot is a sea. And the sea is like glass. The waters are totally subdued and totally stilled. And that's what Jesus comes to bring us. Let us stand together and receive the benediction. We have a 10-minute coffee with pastor outside these doors at the back. I, it's a chance uh, for me to get to meet you. I'm, if I haven't gotten to meet you, I'd like to do that. You can drop by there and we'll have a muffin. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and grant you peace now and forever. Amen.